When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply power blackouts. They happen every year, but guess what, blackouts? You've met your match. Say hello to Goal Zero, the leader in affordable home power backup systems and solar generators. Goal Zero's generators power your fridge, freezer, lights, Wi-Fi, TV, and more with clean power. Their home backup systems, like the Yeti 3000X, have no fuel, no fumes, no noise, and no maintenance. Just good, clean energy that keeps your home up and running. They offer a range of products and affordable price points, from power stations that can provide a half day's worth of power, to solar generators and home backup systems that can keep you powered for one, two, or three days. Plus, they're all portable, so you can take your power with you when you go camping, tailgating, and more. So yeah, take that, blackouts. Our power is here to stay. Have peace of mind when blackouts hit. Go to GoalZero.com to learn more. Hello, Second and Commanders. This is a great day to be listening because we are going to talk to the wonderful, I guess our number one fan of the show, right? Tim? I think he would be, yeah, he's our number one fan. Stephen Colbert, uh, self-admitted, obsessive about the show, has watched every season, listens to it every day. Um, and super busy, by the way. I don't know why he would do this. Not that our podcast Truly, isn't amazing. That is, that is a great point. Before we even go into the interview, I do want to say I have no idea that he, why, he would, why he would do this. I'm so excited that he is. He, but he has so much going on. I know. I almost don't trust it. Like he's got a hidden agenda or it's not Stephen on the other end of this possibly he's gonna like, he's gonna try to like maybe he's gonna like try to sell us on uh, like herbal life or something maybe he's got like sort of like a multi-level marketing thing that he's gonna be like uh, or he's gonna push his nft he's got a new nft he wants yeah, to get out got there a new NFT and, he just, thing. and he won't even talk about veep he'll just be like non-fungible tokens <laughs> money grab money grab so uh here we go stephen colbert everybody stephen colbert stephen thank you so much the I'm going to just go immediately against all the stuff that we talked about. And I just, uh, I feel like this is a reference you're going to get that whenever anybody mentions the cloud, what comes into my head is that moment where Selena says, uh, should they I put the turds up in the cloud? Yeah, they put the turd. I knew you were going to know it. Do they, they have bathrooms over here or do they just put their turds up in the cloud? <laughs> exactly. 100%. And the best part is at the I end love... of the episode, Amy has to go deal with her flushing her toilet. She's just turned down a million dollar job and instead is going to go flush the vice president's still vice president at that point. I can't remember if she's president at the point. What season? Is that two? That's that would have Clovis, been that oh, was three. season four. Was four. that season three? Yeah. Well, okay. yeah, we three. were still in Baltimore because I remember they had to plant a bunch of palm trees on the University of Maryland campus. Yes. To make it seem like they're in Palo Alto? Yes. 
Yeah, we filmed half of that at the HBO offices in LA and the other half at University of Maryland. So they kind of wow. split it up. But I just want to say you're on the show because you are the number one fan of the show. We ran into each other at one of those swanky before Emmy party weekends. I told not you to all, brag. Not, 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 not to, to brag. brag. Not to brag. Uh, I was Stevens plus one. And, uh, <laughs> but you were like, oh my God, you have a podcast. What is it? And you said, I'm on it. I'm on it. And we finally got you on the show. And just for context, I've known you since Chicago, Second City. And then we shared a building right. in New York when you were doing sketch and through the everything and the daily show, we overlapped. And you've always been a wonderful, funny, good dude. And uh, I just want to say thanks for colliding with this uh, show of ours. Well, thank and you. I mean, I, guess I, my, go ahead. I, I bet your, go ahead. your show, your show is like a lifeline for me. I, it, there's something well, about my, there's terrible yeah. behavior that y'all elicit toward each other that makes me, I guess, feel better about myself. But, mm-hmm. but also, <laughs> I, it's so enjoyable to watch that, as I said to Julia when I interviewed her, I said, it's so enjoyable to watch that sometimes I suspect that maybe treating people terribly is good management. Because I would, <laughs> I, I'd love to recreate your show in my own office. She's like, please don't do that. Don't, it is an illusion. Anyway, thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I listen to, if I, if I, if I don't watch or listen to some part of Veep five days a week, I'd be shocked. Wow. Well, I, is I, there any new, dis- are there tiny discoveries in it or is it just all the repetition the time, that's gratifying? Man. No, uh, all all the time, and not only okay. that, I have I have read the book "A Woman First, First Woman," and you uh, have I have two copies of it, and I oh I I I've read "A Woman First, First Woman," and I've listened to the audio book at least twice. Oh my god! Mike Mike McClintock co-wrote that book. Well, he really I know wrote it. Yeah. the the White House. So (laughs) opening sense, when I opened that book, I went, well, I'll know whether they took this shit seriously, if they're really players, if the opening sentence has two thus in a row, because that's, that's in, that's, I believe it's in the crypt episode when they're trying to figure out where her, her library is going to be. They open it up and it goes, when I first came to the, the white house, I'm like, fuckers, this is so beautiful. I can't believe how much care, how much care is taken with that damn show, is what I loved. I loved the detail work. Fucking Kubrick didn't put as much into a frame as you guys did. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but in the, in the series finale, the quote that is, because I don't know if it ever even appeared on screen, but again, just the little details, the quote that is engraved above her casket is somebody should do something about this. Yes. Which is both a call to action and a complete abdication of responsibility. <laughs> yes. I, my, one, my favorite runner from the series, even not you're asking me, my favorite runner, like small Please. detail from the series is how many times Leslie Carr's name appears. Because Leslie oh. Carr, Leslie Carr, K-E-E-R, Leslie Kerr, is fired from the State Department as soon as she becomes president of the United States. And it turns out she wanted to fire Leanne Carr, who is at the Energy Department. And they have Uh to get Leslie Carr to come back because the Iranians like Leslie Carr and it's freaking them the fuck out. And 
and it's, they look like idiots for having done it. You might as well uh, drive a clown car into the uh, into the Lincoln Memorial, I believe is what they say. And and for whatever reason, in order to make Leslie Carr feel better, to show how much they actually like Leslie Carr, she dedicates she dedicates like her presidency to him or something. I, there's some crazy. Yes. There's a number yes. of times Leslie yes. Carr gets thanked. Oh, yes. I know what it is when she's when she's giving the speech on election night. She goes, and of course, the one person who I could not run any of this with, <laughs> and and Dan thinks it's going to be him. He goes, it's Leslie Carr. It's Leslie Carr, and it's a <laughs> tiny it's a tiny reference in one scene, uh, two years before, but it keeps showing up. That, see, that's the kind of stuff where they 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 y'all appreciated that the audience was paying attention, and paid yeah. off. And said, "Hey, we were paying attention too. That's where I, that was the improvisational nature of it. What I like about improv is that the audience is in on the game too. Like they actually perceive the game of every scene before you do. And as long as you listen to the way you're playing with each other on stage, the audience will validate, or rather, they will feel validated by paying attention because you're paying off a game that they perceive, which is what is the reality you're making on stage. Your reality is so complete to me. That's why it's Tolkienian for me." is that it's such a complete reality. I feel like I could ask a question about any aspect of the show and somebody would have an answer. That's why I like the book, is because it's more depth to the world. It's the yeah. question that can be asked about the answer to the previous question, and there still will be an answer because somebody put some thought into it or is willing to bullshit a fool like me. And you know what? I, I, I think I'll call it out. I'm 99% sure that was that was Billy Kimball. Billy Kimball wrote Billy, the book, yeah. Billy Kimball wrote the book. And I think he wrote it at the same time that he was writing the show. And it just seems like a, a talent level. He's such a great guy. And I love... Somebody described Billy Kimball as a man who would spend his last $5 getting his hats redomed. <laughs> and that is like the most... <laughs> The most accurate sentence you could ever say about Billy Kimball, he is so sort of like, he seems to exist in a different world, but somehow he wrote that, he wrote that entire book and it seemed effortless to him. Well, and that's we, the thing that gets me about the writer is, is how effortless they made this immensely hard thing. Yeah, and we, we had Georgia Pritchett on the show and she said, we were asking her like, oftentimes Selena has to do one of those like jibber jabber bullshit political speeches that says nothing and... Mm -hmm. Certain people in, in various generations of the writing staff were good at that stuff. And, and in the American squad, Billy was very good at, like, if they had to have a speech that said nothing, they would mm -hmm. hand it off to Billy Kimball. Uh, hey, everybody. I uh, just want to take a second to talk to you about Brooklinen uh, sheets. Uh, they are the Internet's favorite sheets. They were created in 2014 to give customers luxury hotel level home essentials that don't break the bank. They offer everything from snuggly sheets to cozy towels and robes, loungewear, accessories, and much, much more. I gotta tell you, uh, I just got home from working out of town. I got to sleep in my own bed. Brooklyn and Sheets were on it when I got home. Incredibly comfortable. Woke up rested this morning, feeling like one million dollars. By working directly with suppliers, Brooklyn Inc. cuts out the markups and passes those savings back to their customers so you get incredible products at a reasonable price. Uh, try them. I did. I got the window pane uh, king size, California king size window pane sheets. They look nice. Really big fan. 
So go to brooklinen.com and use promo code VEEP for $20 off your purchase of $100 or more. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code VEEP for $20 off your purchase today. Brooklyn and the curators of comfort. Today's episode is sponsored by Honey. Yeah. Uh, Walsh, how often uh, do you buy stuff on the internet? Too much, Tim. Uh, that's basically how uh, the pandemic taught me to live. Uh, yes, understandable. Uh, there's no more stores, things to show up in boxes at our house. I am a little bit of a, uh, of a, a tightwad, and I uh, look for promo codes on the internet. And Honey manually searches for coupon codes for you as you are online shopping. It supports over 30,000 stores online, and that's they have tech and gaming products uh, to popular fashion brands and food delivery. All right, I'm going to try to explain how it works as a novice. Ima- okay. Imagine you're shopping, then you close out mm-hmm. your order, the honey button drops mm-hmm. down, all you have to do is click apply coupons, you wait a few seconds, honey searches the entire internet for that site. If it finds a working mm-hmm. coupon, you'll watch the price drop in front of you. Yes, that is exactly Exactly right. Uh, I know that I have saved some money using Honey because of this, and Honey has 17 million members and over $2 billion in savings. So if you don't already have Honey, you could be straight up missing out. And it's already free, and it installs in a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this podcast. I wouldn't recommend something I don't use, but I like this. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash veep. That's joinhoney.com slash veep. One of my favorite moments from the series is, um, one of my favorite episodes is season two, episode one, which is midterms. And midterm elections. And it starts Mm -hmm. off with a montage of all the speeches she's had to give going to various different locations. And and certain speeches don't match at all. You know, I met a brave firefighter, you know, (laughs) backstage at a ballet in Hartford, Connecticut. And those are three different speeches that are cut together. Yeah, you don't know me, but I am your grandpa. Oh, yeah. that, the crazy thing about that is that that's not a montage. Yeah, that's, that's one right. That's not sense. the same speech. Is that I think that I watched the same that speech. I think that's I watched right. that. That's when it's like, do you, is, does it still pay off? I think I probably saw that scene 10 times before I went, oh, wait, that's not a cut. The full sentence yeah. is, yeah. you don't remember me. But I <laughs> but am, am your, your grandpa. grandpa. And the crowd goes, <laughs> not, only, not only is that meant to be one cohesive sentence that means something but the crowd loves it well, yeah we were giddy is... about that one in the table read i remember reading that the first time and we were all so giddy you about don't that remember yeah. me i am your grandpa but i am well, your I... grandpa this is a she question has such great that... hillary cadence too like yeah you know you know <laughs> freedom isn't me dumb it's we dumb <laughs> Everybody say free. Everybody say dumb. Dumb. All the ladies say free. All the men say dumb. The uh, this is a question that I had coming in, which is, I am surprised. Not that I'm uh, because I I think the show is good, so I'm not surprised that somebody likes it. Yeah, it's good. It's okay. It's good. It's okay. It's good. But a person in your position who has to spend, who has previously spent so much time in the world of political comedy, 
and yeah, who, although I know there. your show now, you get to deal with a bunch of different stuff, but in the monologues, like you have to do topical jokes, you have to spend a lot of time in that world. So it has always been in a way kind of surprising that you find solace in yeah. this. Like you find the thing is that in this. I, I, I watch it and I go, oh, what a wonderful, different uh, approach on it. I mean, it's what you guys are doing is real political satire. I, I, you know, I, I'm very happy about my show, but people call it satire. It's not really. We're doing jokes about what happened today. That's not the same thing uh -huh. as satire. You guys are doing brilliant political satire. You're embodying some form of reality and then inflating it or extending it to some ridiculous indicting degree. And, uh, and I just appreciate, I just appreciate how accurate it was, how true it felt, how human yeah. it is because, you know, all politics is local. Well, all politics is human. And I just love the venality uh, of all your characters and all the ego involved. And there's something just wonderfully honest about it. That's what I like. It just seems so wonderfully accurate and honest. And it was a way, I mean, the subject matter that I talk about most of the time depresses the shit out of me. And then I get yeah. my joy by finding my own way to make jokes about it with my, you know, with my writers and that connection with the audience. But it's like somebody budging you over at the bench at a game and going, I totally understand the game you play. And I played a little differently and, and I get to appreciate what y'all did. Like it's, I, I, I understand like what your objectives are and I completely right. in awe of the, of what game you brought to it. So mm -hmm. it's, it's like, it's like company as much as it's, Oh, entertainment. okay. All right. That, that, mm -hmm. that makes sense. And, and yours isn't topical. Yours is just accurate as shit. As we've gone back through it and watched it, we've tried to, we, so we've been examining it in a way like with some, with some time and then like we can be a little dispassionate about it. But this is a question that came up that we've been talking about since the beginning, which is at what point did these characters completely lose their morality, completely lose yeah. their, like the heel Their innocence or something. Their innocence, because we've noticed as we went back and watched the first season- humanity, yeah. That they started, for, like behind, ultimately they were like, we still have this ideal. We're behind this, this candidate who we believe in what she's saying. We believe in what she's doing. And yeah, we might have to compromise some of our, day-to-day -day beliefs to get to this larger goal. And at some point, it just became about naked pursuit of power. Like, the, the, her, she didn't even matter anymore. It was just, well, we just got to win. I mean, um, was it the cellulose utensils is how the that whole clean jobs. That was her yeah. clean jobs. That was her clean jobs. That was her clean jobs. Yeah, her first yeah. That was her uh, season That's, that's her signature initiative. Yes. And, um, and one of my favorite, I quoted this to somebody the other day. I said, you do not fuck with the oil lobby because they fuck in a very unpleasant way. Yeah. <laughs> Sydney Purcell. Like, yeah. Okay. Yes. So, um, uh, Barbara, that was Barbara. Barbara. That's what Barbara says to, uh, Oh yeah. Oh. That's uh, yeah. Yeah. That's Selena. Um, Senator Selena, you do not want to fuck Hallows. with the oil lobby. Senator Hallows. They, Senator Hallows. Barbara yeah. Hallows. Cause they fucking a very, Unpleasant way. Uh, that's right. 
Selena, hi, I'm melting. I'm melting. Uh, I'm melting. Um, <laughs> uh, when did you lose your humanity? Well, it's totally gone by season seven. That's for sure. It's totally yeah. gone. I, like I, it's, I was telling they're Walsh, almost I, unrecognizable uh, from the from the first from the first people. Like, even like U.S. Hay is like, hey, it's a good idea. We'll reach out to farmers, and that that seems like even Jonah's got like is a good idea. Maybe we could talk to farmers. Would that be good? Yeah. <laughs> but, and maybe it's poorly conceived and maybe behind it all, there is still ambition. There's clearly still ambition behind yeah. all of it. It's never altruistic. Yeah. yeah it's but never completely. Altruistic. When does it lose? When do they stop even fooling themselves that yeah. it's about anything other than their place in Washington? Yes. Like full on avarice for power. It seems like is where the, sh it's like nonstop grab it at all cost characters seeming. I mean, maybe season six, I mean, season four is the president season four is the presidency. Cause then the end of season three is New Hampshire, which is the day after crate, which is the day that she becomes president and then New Hampshire. And that's end of season three. Right. And then season four, she's president. Mm -hmm. And that's still kind of about doing the right thing, kind of. The new responsibilities of the presidency kind of sobers her a little bit. Mm -hmm. yeah. But she also gets, starts to get very paranoid. Yeah. And I'm, I'm seeing this through the lens of the central character, of course. But yeah. And then season five. Season is five the, is, all, what, is all post presidency? It like, starts no, with the election. Yeah, the election. They're going season, back to Nevada, right? That's yeah, right. season four. Season yeah. five yeah. is when they go back Nevada. to Nevada and trying to count And votes. then, yeah, I think that's when it's somewhere in season five is when it all goes away. Because at the end of that, she's no longer president at the end of season five. By the time that ends over, fuck this sloppy backseat blowjob of a job anyway. It sucks. <laughs> You're amazing. So I think that's actually the, I, I mean, this is, the, the election right. night episode. I think that's the election night episode at the end of season four. We of history all, like, is why that's history. No, we the American people have torn up the history of books. America has torn up the history books, and now she's wiping her nasty ass with it. I believe <laughs> is where the break, that might it. be the breaking point. That might be the breaking point yeah. for her. Uh, I was telling Walshie that I went back and watched the sketch that we did for the finale. Oh, yeah. Like when we all came in, the time travel sketch, like the your, time travel in your sketch? offices. Oh, oh shit! Yeah, yeah. When that, when I I somehow warped you into your world. Yes, yes. Yeah. And I like, and I I couldn't believe because we've been we're we're just now starting season three, so we've been like steeped in these early seasons. I had forgotten, in a way, just how terrible Amy had become until I saw her waltz in in like that sort of Kellyanne Conway. I have completely sold out bad dress, fake tan. I had completely forgotten like the depths that she falls to until mm -hmm. I saw, until I was rewatching that sketch that we did. And so I, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not exactly sure where it is, but man, they end up in a pretty desperate, dark place. I have to give you some context. Um, I want you to know that Kellyanne Conway never fell to any depth. I interviewed her in 2002 and she was exactly the same back Whoa, in 2002 wow. as she is now. I, I, right. I hired her to be my strategist for my congressional run in 2002, <laughs> not knowing, you know, I don't know. Early, it was early days of The Daily Show. She did not know what we'd be doing with the footage, evidently. But um, anyway. That's uh, amazing. Walsh, I no, I was just you. saying Amy's early season arc is her ethics. Like, why am I, you know, I'm giving up everything to stay with this woman. And she was sort of, she had Selena's ear 
like you can affect change, man. Like she was in there fighting for change. And then obviously by the end of it, she has completely sold out. But one of the things Tim and I have talked about too much is that Mike is actually good at his job because Amy makes some huge mistakes. Look at, I for, love this for face. Every, for everybody that's only listening, Stephen definitely made a face. Yeah, Stephen made a face. He made a face that I would say questions that. He's 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 like, okay, I want to hear more. Um, I guess compared yeah. to I'm everyone open, else. I'm open to whatever this argument is going to be. <laughs> well, it sounds like you don't think Mike is good at his job, but Amy, pound for pound, episode for episode, equally makes the same amount of mistakes. And Selena, 100% makes huge gaffes. And Dan is terrible also at his job. He's, he's Machiavellian. So one of the early observations that we're, we're sort of joking, Mike isn't great at his job. No, we're not. I'm None not saying that. None of you that. are good at your job. No. We None sh- of you. Kent, Maybe we should yes. rephrase. Kent is we, kind of good at his job. Ken but Davidson? Ken, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah, Ken Davidson, yeah. Although he's, and, he was, yeah. He was using the Oval Office without the president's permission early on in season one. And you're not supposed that's, to be in there without the president. So he had a little darker episode, sort of. That's actually episode one, season two. But I'm not gonna. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, oh, please. Fire. <laughs> we should have honestly all. hired you as like a consultant in the writer. We should have like a like a like a fax like a fax and and uh, uh, canon consultant. Sue is good at her job. Sue is good at her job. Sue is good. Actually, at her though, job. in the congressional in the congressional hearing, she gives up more information than she should. So she has her moments of being ineffective. We are oh, ineffective. She, so if, if effective means lying in a congressional hearing, then yeah, she's ineffective. Yeah. We have right. been sort of re, we've been relitigating this idea that everybody seems to think that Mike is the person who is the worst at his job. Like if you want to have complete incompetence, you look at Mike. And I think what Matt and I are trying to do is just point out that Mike is actually as ineffective as everybody else. But you could even argue at some points that Mike has the right idea and his execution of that idea is poor. Well, Mike is an innocent. Mike is more innocent innocent. than anyone else. That's what I'll say for Mike is that he does things like, why don't you just tell the truth? <laughs> that's not what I sound like. That's, exactly what sound like. that's spot on. Which is, you know, like, that's one of the great runners of the whole season show, is yes. her imitating many people. Yes. But you, you often suggest that people do the right thing. Um, uh, you that's don't the, the check innocent, for yeah. lead in your child's bedroom. You don't (laughs) ever have the draft done for Selena. Like, you know, like you're like, uh, oh, these are the wrong notes or whatever. Your jokes are terrible when you try to write something funny for her. Yeah. Um, like he is terrible. You you might be a nicer person than than other people. You might actually be a nicer person. But for example, Richard Splett comes in guns blazing terrible. Guns blazing terrible and continues to get things wrong all the time, but he's much more optimistic and less of a woe is me character, but equally as inept as Mike, pound for pound. These are this is sort of like the PhDs. He has two PhDs. So what he does that. So what? Do you know what his two PhDs are? Do you know what his two PhDs are? Uh veterinarian medicine? No, that's Tony. That's veterinary medicine. And uh um uh, constitutional. 
constitutional law, constitutional yeah. electoral law. Yeah. Electoral yeah. law? Yeah. yeah. Electoral okay. law. But in terms of the practical day-to-day, whatever, he does have a PhD, he's still not as good as anyone. That's that's what we're discovering. We're saying we're sort of rewriting that perception. Anyway, you lose I'm not you lose your diary and and destroy the, her reputation. Leon West. Well, you Dan lose implicates your diary. her. Dan Dan gets her in trouble with Furlong because he attaches the clean jobs to the Macaulay without her permission, which turns into an investigation, which later gains momentum and turns into an impeachment. Do you know what I mean? Like these things are the seeds are sown of these other gaffes by these other idiots I'm who she is saying, surrounded by. I'm, I'm not saying that you are that your character. You're a wonderful person, Lauren. No, <laughs> no, no. You're, you're, the, We're talking I'm not about saying that you that everyone's way better than you. I'm just saying it's it's a little self serving at this point to try to make an argument <laughs> that Mike isn't completely inept. <laughs> Mike I wonder is how many people enough. listen to this. How many people listen to this are following the fucking rodeo ride that is us discussing this show? Because we're jumping all over in seasons. There's no I know. context. Yeah. There's no cohesiveness. There's no plan to this conversation we're having right now. You have no, to kind isn't. of be at the level of knowledge and obsession. Yes. Maybe that I ha- have to be enjoying this right now. I question whether what we're doing right now is a form of entertainment. I will say, I will say that I feel like the people that listen are at this level with us. I was having, I was telling Walsh, right. I was having a conversation with somebody a couple of weeks ago who listened to, I'm in Atlanta right now. And I was talking to uh, a doing, some, doing a Marvel movie? Are you doing a Marvel movie? I'm doing movie? a Marvel movie. I'm playing, uh, they recast Chris Pratt. I'm so sorry. I'm playing uh, Star-Lord in the Congrats. third one. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Um, so I... Uh, uh, so I was talking to this guy and we and we like got into the weeds about like like favorite side characters, like favorite supporting characters. And he started dropping Andrew Meyer. He was like, Andrew Meyer is my favorite character. And then he started dropping like the, you know, you, you want a statement about your money? Uh, here's a statement. Your money's doing great. Like, <laughs> he, <laughs> I feel like the people that are listening. <laughs> One of the great Andrew Meyer moments is in season... Whatever. I won't try to get it right. But with Alice it, and Janney, yeah, Alice Steven and Janney, first response. She's the host yeah. of first response. And yeah. Andrew's- We just did that. We just did that episode. How have you forgotten this already? I think that's season two. I think that's season two. 207? Okay. But he says, she says, like, what? how do you respond to the fact that, you know, you're uh, using, currying favor, access to Selena, and basically selling it to these lobbyists uh, in emails. They have you saying that. And he's like, all right, in one word, Come on. <laughs> and that great Pasquese pause, it's just like he's so good at that. You know, Pasquese was the first guy I ever saw improvise, really. Sure. Really? That I went, I went, when I went down, to, well, I was at Northwestern, and a friend of mine said, hey, there's this thing called the Herald Improv that they're doing down at Cross Currents. Are you old enough to remember Cross Currents, Walshie? I did not go to Cross Currents. I'm a little younger than that. Cross Currents was underneath that the much. Belmont L. In Chicago, and it's where there right wasn't a from ton. Leon's there was pizza. Second City, and basically there was what was going on across Currents. That was it back in 1984 or five when I went. And the Herald Improv existed, but Improv Olympic hadn't really started yet. And they were doing the Herald there. And the very first place, very first team I ever saw got up there was a group called Barons Barracudas, 
which also had Joel Murray Mick in Napier. it. And Honor, I don't think Mick was in it yet, but Honor Finnegan and um and Pasquese. Randy somebody. Yeah. A couple other people. And Pasquese. I remember watching Pasquese going, I want, I want whatever that is. Is that he walked on stage like he had a secret. Yeah. And regardless of what he said or did, there was some other thing he wasn't saying that was even more interesting than his interesting choices. And it was mm-hmm. almost as if like, you know, the whole thing about there's your first choice and then there's that second choice that you can make as an improviser. What is that second? What is that second reaction? What is the uncommon reaction? Pasquese, I always felt like there was a third a fourth and a fifth just waiting to come out at any moment. And to this day, I still, I've said this before, but I still kind of want to be Dave Pesquese. Yeah. Because he's so cool. Well, he was, uh, he, he was still around when I started and he was still the guy that you wanted to be. He was yeah. the greatest in the improv yeah. world. But, and when is, I, heard, oh, I saw yeah. that he was Andrew, I was just thrilled. I just couldn't be more excited. And I had the great benefit of, of not watching any Veep till season three. I did not watch a frame of Veep until three seasons had already been on the air. Did you start and, at one or did you go right into three? No, I went back to one. My daughter said, okay. Dad, you have to watch. I watched one episode with her somewhere in three and I went, okay, wow, I see why this wins everything. And mm-hmm. I went, I had to go back and watch it. And I yeah. couldn't believe it's like finding out your favorite author has 10 more volumes that you never knew that you read. <laughs> it, it, I felt like it felt like coming home. It felt like it had just been made for me. I, and, and to this very day, like I will listen to the same. I mean, I, I'm sorry. I'm just going to, I'm going to, this is going to be interesting to no one. So you were going to say. Okay. Well, I wanted to ask you a couple things before we lose you, which is, do you know where the real timeline of American politics stops and the Veep timeline picks up? Cause we've talked about this and Tim made it clear to me. They're sort of like, like George Washington exists in the Veep universe and, you know, Lyndon. Well, uh, I think um, Jimmy Carter is mentioned Mm -hmm. because I take a shit in the Rose Garden. They used to call that a Jimmy Carter. (laughs) That's a joke in there. So Jimmy Carter's real. I think that's where the split is. I think Stephen and Jimmy Carter's like the last real president. There's no, there's no Reagan reference. I don't. I feel like maybe there's a Reagan in season I seven. I can't but, think of one, but there's a but Carter reference. I can't think of one. Sure. I feel like I, I feel and there's like, a Nixon uh, reference and there's a Ford reference. I know yes, that. Yeah. Um, that's L. There's an LBJ. Yes, I am that's the LBJ like queen, and you yeah. are Sergeant <laughs> Suckett Shriver. <laughs> I LBJ'd you. I'm the LBJ queen, and you are Sergeant <laughs> Suckett Shriver. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. My other it was a question, long time before you could yeah. even figure out what party. It was a long yes. time before you could figure out whether there was a party affiliation. And it's never fully spelled out, I guess. Yeah. But it's you once you know that it's you're having to go talk to O'Brien at the stake joint to talk about building a wall on the border, you're like, well, okay, I think we know how this <laughs> yeah. we, we, we kind of know, know. Once we know yeah, like, like Jim- uh, Jim Marwood what? is on the other side of Selena, and then Furlong oh is on David the same Rashi. side of Selena. Fucking yeah. David Rashi, I the the greatest. I mean, and of yeah. course, you, their, your show ended up be a ended up being a doorway for me to get into um, in the loop and in the thick of it. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we lost we lost Walsh. Walsh video is disabled due to an internet quality issue. 
<laughs> oh my God. What's happening? Mike podcast, is bad at his job. Man. Yep. Mike, your Mike's bad damn at his job. Podcast. I'm not doing there anything, I swear. Keep going. Keep this, going. Are you in character right now? <laughs> there, I don't You're wanna, the communications I, director for the White House, and you don't, do you not have internet, Mike? Mike! 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 Well, that's, Mike! 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 Mike. Mike. Mike, that's the, one thing the early seasons get into, which is like the fast pace of the, we spend a lot of time covering how they don't know how to react to the fact that somebody in the room knows the story ahead of them. And that's one of the things that Armando and the writers invested in, like the first two or three seasons, a lot of story plots turn around that. And uh, so oftentimes Mike is the one who catches the story first, even though he's calling Amy in the same room to tell her Andrew's email is on the internet. He's still the first one ahead of everyone. So that's him doing his job well. <laughs> this entire thing is really just to relitigate for Walsh that 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 Mike was not as bad at here's his what I job like as about, you thought. Here's what I like about this argument is that every no one should ever play a villain. They should mm-hmm. play someone <laughs> who has cast themselves as the hero of their own story. And that's what yes. you've done with Mike. Yes. You have cast Mike as like, no, I'm competent. I'm good. Everyone else yes. around me was, and and I was just normal. And it makes me seem bad because everybody else <laughs> is so terrible. When which is an excellent actor choice to make, but a complete delusion. Let me ask you one more question. Hey, Soren's got to do something about those elves. He's got to. <laughs> yeah. Yes. That's what, how not I get into the ring? The elves are out of control. <laughs> <laughs> Saruman. Uh, are there any core like people like Roger Furlong? Are there any corollaries in the real political world that you think that guy? Tons, tons. I mean, I interviewed so. I mean, someone who was or, only out for themselves with no sense and just of the public filthy, good, yeah, and willing to destroy anyone or anything in order to get what they want, but are also kind of not good at doing that either. Because Furlong's not powerful. He doesn't actually exercise it all that well. He gets screwed yeah. constantly. He, right. he doesn't actually become, he never becomes Speaker of the House or anything like that. He just ends up being Roger Furlong, who is a, not particularly, I mean, he's, 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 he's head of the House Subcommittee on Ethics or something like that, which is a shit, yes. one of the shittiest possible jobs you could possibly have. <laughs> no one wants to be on the Ethics Committee. And I, obviously he has a fiduciary responsibility to look into all this kind of backseat finger fucking but he <laughs> doesn't exercise it well i would say kevin mccarthy the the yeah. likely next speaker of the house yeah. also is completely venal and has no interest in mind other than kevin mccarthy's career and i yeah. know that for a fact that mm-hmm. he knows the difference between right and wrong i know that for a fact that he knows the difference between right and wrong and mm-hmm. you can judge his choices uh, and determine whether he is choosing right or wrong. But for legal reasons, I will say I am not weighing in on which choice he's making, but I <laughs> know which one it is. <laughs> That's a great when answer. This yeah. this was, I, I think, uh, hard for us. And again, I'll, I'll say this to you as somebody, or I'll ask this of you, somebody who also has to work in this in this world is that <laughs> I don't once, have to, I could quit. I you could, could quit. <laughs> who, 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 who I'm not paying off my passage across the Atlantic. So, I actually <laughs> could leave. 
as someone who continues You've to make the okay. poor choice to do this, um, thank you. Uh, we noticed, like, when we talk about political satire, like, in, in those first few, those first few, uh, first few years, we got to be a little bit more of a scalpel. Once there was an administration change, and once you're dealing more with Kellyanne Conway or Kevin McCarthy, that it was much, much harder to be a satire and to find comedy in this because it it wasn't you could the subtlety kind of went out the window mm-hmm. does that make sense like i i felt like it was harder in later seasons to well the be stakes a are different the stakes are different because a lot of the play of the first part of like say seasons one through three a lot of that is it plays off the powerlessness of the office and then the posturing of having power or the self-delusion of being a player when she is routinely dismissed by people who you would not imagine constitutionally would have the ability to do so. Like the fact that she keeps on saying, and it's mostly through season one, though I think it happens some in season two, which is, uh, did the president call? No? Okay. That, that is that is a sort of the base coat of the satire to me for the first three seasons. Did the president call? Yeah. No. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then once mm-hmm. she is the president, then all of her behavior has consequences. And so the, your storylines change. Are you, do you find yourself ever in the same, do you ever find yourself on days? Cause I know that there were days in those later seasons where we had to like, look, it, it, uh, it, where we had to like, look at what we were about to shoot. And it was like, this is already irrelevant. Like we now have to rewrite this because the the timeline yes. has been so sped up. It used to be that we would film some season one, we'd film something stupid. And before we aired, like six months later, somebody would do it would that. Happen stupid in real thing. Life. It would happen yeah. in real life. And then be like, wow, how did you guys predict the future? And now we were just all it, in those later seasons, it seemed like we were just day to day responding to the present. Uh, yes. Being like, you know, oh, this incredibly stupid thing. Nobody will ever do that. Oh, what? Somebody did yes. it? Well, shit. How do yes. you ever find yourself on days where you're just like, I actually like, we just need to take five minutes and figure out where we go from here. Because I don't, does do you ever find yourself in that situation? Yeah, I mean, not as much anymore. I mean, to na- now, I mean, not to get into my show, but for the four years of the previous presidency, we had to look at the news up until about 5.15 and I would go on stage at 5.35 every night. We had to make sure wow. like, okay, is it still, is this still what's Relevant. going on? And we were doing mm. it every day, five days a oh week. Oh my God. And we we're going like, wow. is this still it? And it was more times than I can count, somewhere between 4.30 and 5, could be 5. We would go, oh, oh no, that can't be the monologue. It has to be this other thing. And we would rewrite. And y'all know what it's like to write under deadline. But we would write. a. I mean, my monologues are the longest ones in late night. We do like 15 minutes a night. That's a long monologue. But that's a long. Yeah. You know, most people like eight minutes. We do almost twice that. I mean, some nights I'll do it. I mean, I, I did 20 minute monologues some nights. And so we would rewrite that in 45 minutes. Not rewrite, we would write from scratch a 15-minute monologue in 45 minutes, which is an insane speed. So that that was my experience. Now the experience is actually you have to 
Well, finding out, say, that the previous president was shopping around the idea of having the military and the uh, Homeland Security seize all the voting machines Machine. in the six mm -hmm. states that he was contesting, mm -hmm. um, having already created a, a raft of false electors in order to create the idea that there's a controversy that didn't exist in order to um, invoke executive emergency powers. When that happens, you go, well, you could do a joke about it, which is fine. Mm -hmm. But we find like we have to pull the car over. Everybody mentally get out of the car. We all vomit in the, the ditch next to the highway. <laughs> we slap each other in the face. We go, is everybody awake? Is everybody awake? Okay, now tell me that again. Because you don't want to become inured to how um, close we are to losing it all. Yeah. And, and certainly our job is not to stop it from happening. Nothing I do will stop anything from happening. I've proven that. But you have to be fully awake to what's happening to do the kind of jokes you want to do about it. So you don't end up doing jokes that are further numbing as opposed to that point at what you think the reality is. Because to further numb the audience is the sin. Yeah. So that's our problem. It's not speed. We can do it every day. It's not the speed. It's staying awake. Is it almost like remaining vulnerable to the stories? Yeah, very much so. Don't grow a callus over that nerve. Let the nerve twang. Like it's and that's the part that like takes discipline because hey, who wants to be who wants that feeling? But you have to have the feeling right. in order because since feeling is yeah. first, you know, since feeling is first in all of the things that I think I can say from like Moses on the mountaintop, feeling is really first in everything that we're doing and talking about. And so you have to stay, you have to, you have to feel it before you can go right about it. Since feeling is first, who well, pays any attention to the syntax of things will never wholly kiss you. Holy to be a fool while spring is in the world. My blood approves, lady, I swear by all roses. The best gesture of my brain is less than your eyelids flutter that says we are for each other. So relax leaning back in my arms for life is not a paragraph and death I think is no parenthesis. What is that kid from? Rock. That was amazing. It's gotta be shit. That was Kid Rock. Kid Rock. Oh, wow. It was Kid Our Rock. Poet Laureate. Kid Our Rock. Poet Laureate. Yeah. And now it's time for some Vicpin Trivia. Well, I'd, I'd like to transition into very superficial trivia if you're ready, Stephen. Hit me. Oh, so is this like, can I beat people from veep at their own no, trivia. That not that this this show has no organization we completely just show up go wherever it goes uh this is just a little test that uh arvin our producer put together to see these are veep, test your, veep trivia though right it is so it these is, are either from a real these are from a yeah these this is actually uh manchester united soccer questions <laughs> football man questions. you baby <laughs> No, is this a real politician or is this a Veep uh, character who said this thing? All right? Yeah. Uh, we'll start with this one. God bless New Hampshire. God bless the United States of America and Puerto Rico if they can vote for president. No, that, that's Veep. That's Veep. Do you know who, do you know who said it? I believe that's Roger Furlong. Did he that's say Jonah that? That's Jonah Ryan. That's Jonah oh. Ryan. Jonah Ryan? Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. So, But it's, it's a real. I, I recognize it from the show. Uh, this one. Nuclear weaponry, of course, would be the be-all, end of all. Just too many people on too many parts of our planet. That's a real politician. That's Sarah Palin. That's very good. Two for two. 
many of the Christian faith would have said contraception is okay, and it's not. It's a license to do things in a sexual realm that is counter to how things are supposed to be. That's real. That was real. That is our, our, that is our, that's our dude, Rick Santorum. Uh, it's all Tibet. We are going to ride that Dalai Lama like Mrs. Lama on book club night. That is, that is Selena. Yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's an easy That one. is season six. That is season six. Uh, as it turns out, there's a virtually unprecedented tie in the Electoral College, a somewhat arcane institution that many scholars believe we should do away with. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is I feel like we might have given that one away. That is Selena. That's, that's the, uh, that's, um, uh, uh, feels like my sister just shat on my chest. That's uh, yeah. <laughs> two great Greek uh, contributions to society, uh, yeah. democracy, and getting fucked up the ass. Well, I've tried both, and they're that, way overrated, like yeah. jazz. That, <laughs> that, that reminds me of that, like when we were filming that last season, and this also goes back to the sketch that we did for for your show. Uh, when you come in, uh, like. That moment of like the doing away with the electoral college, and also when you come in and you're like, uh, you know, the Ryan campaign—they're doing anti-vaccination stuff, and we've had so many measles deaths, and it seems so quaint. It seems yeah. so, but I remember at the time Doesn't being it? like, I remember being like, guys, like we're really the sledgehammer that we were using then now seems like a scalpel. You know what I mean? Like at yes. the time, I was like, God, we have to go so much harder. And, and history has now put us in the subtle realm. A sitting congresswoman, not on Twitter, not no. a typo that Siri created, said out loud, which I didn't know for a week after I heard the news. I thought it was a typo. Said gazpacho police. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and heard herself say it and did not correct herself. Said gazpacho police. Get, and that, I think you're absolutely right. It is so hard to not callous over. It's so hard to not callous over in those moments. I, and kudos yeah. to you for, for keeping a perspective yeah. on that. I actually really am impressed with your ability to not do that because it's hard. It's hard, man. Okay, uh, let's see. Sometimes you have to act. Always oh, yeah. you have to listen because politics, because in politics, uh, is. A backbone and a heart are only as good as your ears, and my ears are my, my livelihood. That is Selena as well. That, that is Selena. Where, do you know where she said that one? Uh, say it again. Sometimes you have to act. Always you have to listen. Because in politics, a backbone and a heart are only as good as your ears, and my ears are my livelihood. <laughs> does so does she say that in the first episode? No, she says it on first response with at she the end of her oh, interview with Janet she has, she has stolen the line from the sound guy about his ears being his livelihood and oh, has that's put right. it into that's right. Well, it's it unseasonably warm. I like the it number is of times she just warm. it is unseasonable. The number of times she just grabs any any <laughs> yes. detritus of some other thing she heard moments before <laughs> and adds it into she is so good at <laughs> pretending that she is good with people. 
Yes. Weirdly, yes. weirdly, some of my favorite moments are like the not profane ones. The profanity is so much fun, but I swear to it God, is, yeah. there yeah. are so many times where Richard just says something kind of pleasant. Or Come on. He grabs Richard T. Splett. I don't know why I Rich- said T. My middle name is John. My middle name is Come John. On. That might be the best joke that's ever been written. <laughs> are there any parting thoughts we want to let you have your day? Uh, yeah. We want to. Do you have any anything? I, mean, I you don't know. What? know. Honestly, I any don't know what criticisms. To say. My, my- yeah. Any criticisms or flaws? Because we found one flaw in the show after going back. By the way, just one. There's a moment. I'll tell you where it is. Where Tony, where Gary mentions he has a niece, and uh, Gary is an only child, so he makes a joke about his niece. And in fact, later seasons, Gary says, "I'm an only child." Well, he also says he remembered Dan or whatever he says. Like he said, Andrew tried that trick on me, you know, where he remembers one detail about you and it makes him, makes you think that he he remembers you. And Mm -hmm. he goes, he tried it on me. What did he say? Oh, he asked about Dan or something like that. And he goes like, my brother, we weren't very close. And then later you find out that he had one brother who died as an infant. So that's a real like, wow. He finds out his brother died in like a crib death or something like that. Right. Yeah. So that brother that he's not very close to, he never knew. (laughs) And he also has two different degrees. Yes, he does. Gary has a degree in hotel management from Cornell University. No, Mm -hmm. you don't. And and then he also has another one. I think he has one in veterinary medicine too, right? Doesn't he also yeah. have a degree from Tulane or something? He's got yeah, he two does. different degrees going yeah. on. So fundraiser is perfect. Rose Yogurt, Catherine, Chung, Chung, nicknames, baseball, uh, full disclosure, full disclosure, light. Tears, <laughs> um, midterms. Uh, this is what I'll, I'll just say. I'll like, what is my favorite episode of all time? What's the one that yes. I could watch over and over again and never I, grow tired of it? I want to like, know this one. Um, I mean, there are many who are vying for the position of it doesn't matter how many times I watch it. For a while, it was crate. Yeah, I could watch. I could watch crate any number of times, and then at a certain point, like maybe thirty times, it it like stopped. It, like a light went off, and these and where, days, where is Crate in the seasons? I'm sorry, it's season three, episode nine. It's the one where she becomes president because okay. uh, this is America, man. We're always at war. It's it's that episode. <laughs> okay. It's okay. you know, uh, I was oh, I was gonna raise ducks. It's that episode, okay. and so I would say right now, midterms is essentially flawless. I believe that data is extraordinary, which is season four. Um, The Clovis is extraordinary. Um, Special relationship. We believe we are very much post-tax. Yes. (laughs) That's incredible. I got to say, and I could keep going through the episodes, but I would say data is in in season four is quite extraordinary season five season four is quite extraordinary because that has the line 
Amy, the, gel- the gates of hell have, have opened and you are my plus one. That is, <laughs> that is, Dan says when he finds out just how fucking bad the data spill is. Uh, I would say, b- boil it down. I, have, I can only watch one beep for the rest of my life. I'm watching, I'm watching debate ah, for oh, the rest okay. of my life. I can only watch one. It's I'm watching debate. And I don't right, know no, why, but age cannot wither nor custom stale. It's infinite variety. I don't, it's, you know, you got the haircut and you yeah. got, uh, you know, smoking <laughs> hun and uh, you got Dan with the beard and you got uh, Jonah. I'll feel better when you walk away. If only we can all just walk away and Gary, get out of my marriage. Stay the hell out of my marriage. And no, that's what marriage is, uh, a conflict of interest. Um, <laughs> isn't, it's got is, everything. About the haircut, don't they say that she looks like Paul? So doesn't somebody compliment her and say that she looks like Paul Simon? <laughs> I, what is the she joke does, about... I feel like a beetle. Well, you got the haircut for it. Yeah, there um, you okay. go. Mm-hmm. See, that's what you look like when you become a real boy. <laughs> 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 Uh-huh. And I think one of the reasons I like that is that that show, that episode actually is about politicians or people who work in politics, because all the politicians are on stage. It's only the yes. people who work in politics showing you the mechanics of trying to make their politician look better in real time. And mm-hmm. that's much closer to the kind of the experience that I've had, because I've been in spin rooms. Like I've as my especially my old Daily Show days, I used to go to the debates. I used to like I used to be in those rooms. I know how real what that how real that was. Mm-hmm. And um, Who, uh, the point is a... the point is of uh, oh my god, Congressman Pierce, maybe one of my favorite. They're all my yeah. favorite lines. But like uh, the point is, she's a fighter. She could be buried with a book. Like uh, she likes to read. <laughs> I mean, not reading now. I mean, she could die. Or she could live. She could be buried with a book. The point is, she's a fighter. And then just in the background, you hear Richard Flett say, good for her. <laughs> oh, my God. Who oh. would be a person in that, in, in your experience there, who is a politician who never actually needed, who you saw was like the best at making themselves look good, who like the person that needed the fewest people to run up to them and to tell handle them, them. To, ha- to handle them. Can you think of one? Well, it's, the in- interesting thing is that there are, I've spoken to a lot of congressmen and senators and some presidents um, and MPs and people like that. Most of them are unimpressive, not because they're not, you know, talented mm-hmm. or intelligent or even well motivated or anything. I'm not implying that they're worthless, but mm-hmm. unimpressive in that most of the time you felt like they were highly prepared for this moment and would not deviate from the preparation. Right. And that's, mm. that's like, that's a, a very, very managed, very handled candidate. The more handled they are, the less you want to talk to them, of course, because you're, you're, you know, discovery being greater than an invention, you're so rarely going to discover something. I'll give you an example of like the nadir of it. And that would be Ted Cruz. When mm-hmm. he came on the show back in, 2015 early on because when the show began i was like listen i'm just so tired of republicans not talking to me have any republican on and the first republican who comes on i'll have on the day before the iowa caucus whatever like that's my promise i'll give you last touch that's my that's my promise to you you be my first republican candidate to come on i'll have you on the day before the iowa caucus even if by satellite whatever you want just 
please, let's stop. I'm not an assassin. I'm not here to seek a knife. I really am curious. And because my old show had set up this weird myth that I was over there to stick knives in people. And I so rarely did it. Mm -hmm. Mostly just to members of the media who I thought were being disingenuous. But um, I didn't like it. Um, So Cruz comes on. And I'm upstairs talking to him. And he goes, I said, well, anyway, thanks for coming on. I really appreciate it. He's like, yeah, well, I'm hoping, hoping you could, um, this is good. I hope you can uh, humanize me. And I, and I thought, well, you know who never says those words? Human. <laughs> they never, no human would, would say that out loud. That is someone saying, we're going to have you on the show. Why would I do that asshole show? Well, it'll humanize you. Do you know what I mean? A late night show will humanize you. Right, right, right. Human, human. Four chamber heart. Remember that. You know, like, you know, hair, mammal, lactating, biped, (laughs) human. Like, you know, it was very, very much like such a sociopathic way of looking at your relationship to an audience. And even though that term humanized gets thrown around a lot, it shouldn't be thrown around by the person who hopes to be humanized. They should just be human. So I said, hey, well, I'll tell you what. Because I, I want them to have a good time. I'm really not there to make people fucking suffer. I really want them to. I'm, I'm a host. They're my guest. So I said, yeah. I'll tell you what. Everybody says you're one of the smartest guys in Washington. And people think I'm smart. But I mostly just have a good memory. And having good memory can seem intelligent. Because you can make quick associations based upon your references. But it's not the mm-hmm. same thing as computing power. I said, but let me just say this. I've read a few of your speeches and I've seen a few of them. And I promise you, my memory is good enough that I'll know if you start stumping. Don't let me catch you doing that. I said, because the audience feels it. They can't, they don't know it out loud, but they kind of feel mm-hmm. when you're stumping. And that, that is not how you humanize yourself. You humanize yourself by just answering my question and don't go to the stump. And he goes, got it, got it, got it. So he goes down there stump 10 minutes of stump and it was like <laughs> you're ridiculous like i don't understand why people think you're smart i think you just have a good memory too that's how you memorized your stump and that's why yep. you're a good lawyer because you can remember all the cases but like that's but now other people would go oh shit that person actually answered my question that's pete Buttigieg. that yeah. guy is oh, actually nice. smart that guy actually answered my questions and when he came on as the mayor of South Bend? He mm-hmm. came on as the mayor yeah. of South Bend. Or like, I'm having the mayor of South Bend on? That's the belief I said that. And I said, <laughs> yeah, no. We, people say he's actually going to be a thing. I'm like, really? The mayor of South Bend? He's like, he's a veteran of the Afghan conflict. He is a Rhodes Scholar. He's super impressed. I'm like, he better be. He's the mayor of South Bend. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he came on and got up, and when he left, I turned to my producer and I said, "Shit, that guy was really impressive. Not that he like burned the house down, but you know when someone's actually answering yeah. your question and giving you an honest answer and is not afraid of the questions and is answering it with a spirit of engagement and honesty and trying to address what the what the issue is behind the question." And and I, he was actually supposed to be on supposed to be on last night on my show actually to come back to talk about infrastructure or whatever he's secretary of transportation now 
well, yeah, he had to postpone until he's coming on two weeks from now. But I'm really looking forward to every time I talk to him. It's been like three or four times now. He is, I mean, I don't know if he'll ever be president. I mean, you know, he's short. I don't think we do that. I don't think, <laughs> yeah. I don't think we elect short people. Not in the modern era, we don't. No, right? I don't think we do. I bet we have a short beard. Maybe that would tip it, you know, because you could, like in the old days, you could have a big beard and that would make up for how short you were. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> uh, but there are very few people I've spoken to who are as immediately as impressive. And this is the one that'll shock people. And he's not, a, he actually was a politician. But strangely, people say, like, who's the smartest person you've ever spoken to? Like, who felt smartest? Um, Al Sharpton feels yeah. when you talk to him feels like the smartest guy you've ever spoken to deeply Who you, intelligent you sat you took his spot when i was at the daily show you sat in for him because he didn't show up one night right he just didn't that. show up one night and i sat in and i was <laughs> you want to know about that night and then i know we got to go but that yeah. night i'm a back to things that i love and will do anything to be part of in any way. And I'm so grateful to you guys for having me on because Back at you. you're very, very few people want to hear me talk about Veep anymore. <laughs> and this is a safe space. This little Veep snowflake needed a safe space to wax poetic about mm -hmm. just his gratitude for its existence. Honest to God, I've had some very dark, you know, times over the last five years of like facing the news every day and making jokes about it. I'm not complaining. It's just there's a challenge there. Your show never fails to bring me out of the prove the cave is a tunnel. If you know what I mean? And that there's light oh, on the other man. side. And that light always involves comedy, man. There's a reason yeah. I do this. There's a reason why I have no other skills is that this <laughs> is oxygen to me. And you guys are a tank of oxygen on a <laughs> nearly daily basis. And I know you don't do it anymore, but I'll never not be grateful for what you gave me and other people too. But I'll never not be grateful for the work that y'all did. Um, so I'll go back, to, I'll go back to this, this other thing, which is, um, what were we talking about? We got off of oh, Buddha Judge and Sharpton. Oh, Al, Al Sharpton. Sharpton. Al Sharpton. He, you sat in he for Al Sharpton. He came into the studio. The you sat okay, in Okay, so that him. night, so what happened was, what happened was is that Al Sharpton didn't show, just didn't show. Not like he's going to be late. Not, uh, he sorry, he's delayed. He's still on Vieques, you know, having a hunger strike or whatever it is. He just didn't show. And I was that night, I had wrangled through what little show business connections I had. Because remember, this is in 2001, and The Daily Show has barely become The Daily Show at this point. And I had wrangled through hook or by crook a ticket to the New York Directors Guild, not even like general show business, but the Directors Guild preview screening of the fellowship of the ring oh wow. <laughs> it's the first time the first time wow. on the north american continent because it already been done the screening in london but first time on the north american continent that anyone was going to see the movie and i had a ticket and my hand was on the door to leave the building when i heard stephen colbert please come to the studio stephen and i went Fuck. And I went downstairs and the show has begun. Like the show's it's oh, the it was time up for and the guest. when they called. It was you. up. They'd wow. already done the first two acts of the show. That's how I knew I wow. wasn't on. And and Ben Carlin, the then exec showrunner for John, 
uh, runs backstage and I'm in the wings. I'm like, what's up, man? And, and, and they said, Sharpton didn't show up. I'm like, uh-huh. He goes, you're, you go on, you're Al Sharpton. And I said, and I looked over at John and he went like that. And I went <laughs> like that. And I turned, and I turned, to, I turned to Ben and I said, so like, not an impression, right? I'm just going to be me, but I'm Al Sharpton. And he went, yes, you're you, but you are Al Sharpton. And I said, got it. And it's worth watching if everybody wants, knowing that backstory, it's worth watching to go on to see the conversation. And that's, John and I hadn't actually worked together for that long at that point. And that's when he and I really went like, oh, we could have a lot of fun together because this was complete make ups yeah, And that was yeah. kind of like was a tipping point for our relationship to go like, oh, you know you can count on me for anything. And I know you're up for anything. I knew, I saw, like, I kind of saw his colors and was like, oh my God, you'd be fun to, to, to fuck around with. And that kind of changed our relationship, rather brought it to another level. And then uh, I was only probably 20 minutes late to the movie. Oh, you still oh, got you to did get to do oh, both. I was going to oh, in and I walked in. I was like, "Oh, wait a second! Now he's meeting Pippin and and Mary. They're meeting <laughs> Pippin and Mary in the cornfield, running away from Farmer Maggot, and they're about. And then the Black Riders show up, and that's where I that's where I started. But anyway, I was gonna I was gonna say I'm that over. for all the success you had, it seems like you made a really poor choice in not going to that screening. But it looks like you had your cake and I ate it too. <laughs> Our guest has been Stephen Colbert, the one and only. An absolute pleasure to have you here. I'm still in awe that you're uh, the fan you are. I, I that's uh, such an unbelievable thing that you came out. I'm so Guys, happy that you I'd enjoy it. Guys, I'd come back. I'd come we'll back. We'll have you back. We'll, we'll have we'll you back. We'll schedule it again. We'll go a little because deeper because this is nothing but this is nothing but fun for me. Though again, I have my doubts whether this is fun for anyone else. You know because, what? And consider, I guess, when you go back through some of these episodes, just consider Mike's inability to other characters performing their duties. Just consider it in a slightly different lens. That's all I'm asking I you to reflect you, on. I will now. I will now. I promise you this. I will now watch the entire series from the first episode forward, and I will take notes of Keep moments score. where you were where you were competent. But and when I have done that, I will let you know. And if you will have me back on. We will dedicate yes. the entire episode, or at least my portion of it, because it's your show, to my judgment <laughs> or, or or the evidence that I bring. And I'm but comparatively, I want to say bad at their job, notch for Sam. Bad at their job, notch for Amy. Like that's what you're doing. I'm not saying. So I'm Mike, not just you. It's comparable to other people. Yes. Yes, that's the point. Yes, that's the point. So at the end of the seasons, if Amy had 700 instances where she was terrible at her job. And Mike only had 500. There's a world where Mike's probably better at his job than Amy. You know what I mean? I will say, and this will, I'll, I do need to leave it at this. Yeah. And I realize I'm the one who's been making this longer. You've been trying to let me go for about 30 minutes now. <laughs> you're so busy. You're so busy. You are so busy. And it's crazy. I'm so excited that you're, <laughs> uh, this is great. There are people I'm sure, I'm not only going to look at my phone, but. Here's the thing. <laughs> I will say that the only evidence I know that Mike is secretively competent is that his show McClintock becomes a success. True. When he's mm -hmm. left to his own devices, he actually becomes a media figure of some significance. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This has been uh, Second Commander, special guest uh, Stephen Colbert. It was wonderful to have him. Uh, you can find us on anywhere you listen to podcasts. We yeah, anywhere you listen to Tuesday. podcasts. 
Yeah, and you can watch us uh, on video. On, so. on YouTube and on Spotify, you can watch our video casts. Um, rate, review, subscribe, leave five stars. Uh, go to second in command forwards. No, you go to castmedia.com slash second in command. Yeah. To ask us a question and we will answer it on the podcast. And that's it. Keep spreading the word. Stay engaged. We love your support. We love hearing from you. Oh, we got a Reddit and, AMA coming up. We haven't decided on a date yet. We got one of those coming up. Oh yeah, that is a good one. And uh, we should have asked Stephen about our our slogan for the show. Oh, Next we time have. he's on, we got to ask his advice. Yeah. That. Okay. Anyways, peace. Be well. Thank you for listening. Late Show Pod Show listeners can get 20% off on all Late Show with Stephen Colbert merchandise on ParamountShop.com. That's 20% off at checkout on all Late Show shirts, mugs, accessories, and more with code TLS20 at ParamountShop.com.